We are going to start, so I uh, would like you to pay attention here as we begin. And I do have a, a piece of paper for you, St. Uh, June. Yes, I put two over there for you. A blind guy on a bar stool shouts to the bartender, Wanna hear a blonde's joke? The guy right next to him says, before you tell that joke, you should know something. Our bartender is blonde. The bouncer is blonde. I'm a six foot tall with black belt. I am blonde. The guy sitting next to me is six two weighs 200 pounds and he is a rugby player and the fella to your right is 6'5 pushing 300 pound all of us are blonde mister do you still want to tell the joke about the blonde and the blind man said, you know, come to think of it, sir. No, I don't. I don't want to repeat it five different times. <laughs> All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, we thank you for the restoration that is on the way. We praise and thank you for your mercy, your love, your compassion that the babe of Bethlehem has brought to us through his death and resurrection. Continue to bless our study of the book of Ruth. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us wisdom from on high as we glean the golden nugget in this short book that will help us to see that you are our Redeemer and our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Alicia, do me a favor, or Tim, shut that door over there. Those folks are having a wonderful time, which I like to know, to hear, but uh, I want to... So what I would like to do, I just handed you guys um, chapter 2, but I want to read the whole chapter in uh, order so that you may know how does it really fit all together so that we are not just taking things out of context okay please here we go now naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of elimelech whose name was boaz and ruth the moabite said to naomi let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reaper, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, 
The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Just a little bit so that you know, um, we are being on podcast right now. This is the first for our church. We have it upstairs for Wednesday morning, but now we're going to do it. So if there's a question that's being asked, I'm going to repeat it because the comments were from the people that last week listened to it. They could not hear the question. So if you say something, I'm going to repeat it just to help you. Okay. This is uh, the chapter we are dealing with, chapter 2. And what are some of the thoughts? Don't look at your notes, but just tell me what are some of the thoughts that you heard um, uh, uh, from the readings we just talked about truth. Whatever comes into your mind. Okay. I'm thinking the world was an awful lot different back then because the young woman had to be protected from the young men. Yeah. So the comment is, the world was different then. We talked about that in the sermon. The good old days, right? It was different that she had to be protected. In actuality, it isn't that much different. It is not really that much different. What other things really gleaned out as I was reading the text? Anyone? She protected her mother-in-law to provide and take care of her mother-in-law. The other thing that I think you really need to notice, look at the divine language that is spoken. We use a lot of it in our liturgy, by the way. Did you guys catch it? The Lord bless you. May he bless you also. I say, the Lord be with you, and you respond, and also with you. You have those terms right here in the text. Okay, so... Uh, it begins with the first sign of hope. We're going to concentrate on verses 1, 2, and 3. So we, the first sign are the signs of hope that the author really begins uh, to give us. We are introduced to another character in the story by the author. Ironically, he is what? A relative of Elimelech, Right? Now, one of the things I have often said to you, when we look at this story, if you remember last week I drew on the blackboard, the characters are on a stage and we are sitting like in a play watching what's taking place. And so scene two, if we want to call chapter two, scene two, this character is introduced. And lo and behold, he is related. Now, if ever there was a time where you really want to see the hands of God at work, he's always working behind the scene. And uh, the final lines in my sermon, there are no hopeless situations, right? We have hopeless people because they see the situation so big that they can't see God to be bigger than they are. 
And uh, brother, uh, you got an extra one? Thank you. So, so we are introduced. Uh, what is his name? What is the name of this new character that we have? Boaz, right, B-O-A-Z. And what does the word Boaz mean? Very good. But specifically through God, in Him, God is our strength. Boaz. Okay? So in Him, that is, God is the strength. Okay? Uh, one of the things that we read today in the Restoration chapter of Isaiah 35, right? The weak will become strong. The lame will jump, right? So in Him, there is strength. Philippians 4.13. Anybody know that by heart? No. No. Nope, nope, that's not the right. Okay, did you uh, repeat that? Both of you said it. Laura, you said it. Who strengthens me. Notice where the emphasis, I can do all things through whom? The one who gives me the strength to do it. So Boaz, in essence, saying uh, God's strength is in me. In him is God's strength. Now, why should that give hope to this family? Why should this give hope to the family? Think, as we have been talking uh, over the past few weeks about this book. Why should this give hope? Very good, but that's, um, we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. What is so important about the story of Naomi and Ruth? They have what? Nothing. They have no what? Specific term I need to hear. What, are, what don't they have? They don't have a man to take care of them. And we've talked about this before. A woman without a man is destitute. That's why God's command in the Old Testament, take care of the fatherless and the widows, right? So we are to take care. It is our duty as a church to take care of the widows and the fatherless. You read the Apostle Paul, right? You take care of the widows, and they have to be real widows, not just widows who just gossip all day long and all of those things. So uh, there was a time there was no service agencies. We have today social services, okay, which is wonderful, but it really has robbed the church of doing the beautiful things God has given us to do. Now it's just as easy to write a check rather than get involved. I remember, and maybe some of you remember, when a farmer got hurt and he was laid down, what did the neighbors do? They all came together and do what? Harvest, uh, put everything together. The women came and brought the pecan pie and the apple pie and all the cooking and all of this stuff. I got to push it in somehow. Okay, so the people came to the aid, right? Nowadays, we hardly know who our neighbor is. So going back to the question, why should that give hope? A male relative could redeem and provide the, this family's needs. Think of uh, Luke 7, right? 
the widow of Nain, the mother of the child, and God um, miraculously gave her her son back. He gave her a male heir to continue to live without destitute. Now, what type of man is Boaz? What type of man? Well, that's one, but do we see that right away as wealthy? Later on, we do in the story, right? What's, what's the first things that we are introduced about this man? A worthy man, A worthy man okay? Now, the Hebrew word is ironic, gibor, where we get the word Gabriel. Gibor means mighty, and the word chayel, like an almost military one who is really worthy to stand uh, century, and he is from the family of Alimelech. Another word to say, a man of good standing, a man of integrity, a man of honor, and a man you can trust. Okay, that's very important. Okay, so a man of good standing a man of integrity, a man of honor, and a man you can trust. By the way, to those of you who don't know, and maybe you do, you do Boaz's name is mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus. And for that, I would like you to open your Bibles to St. Matthew's Gospel first. And would somebody be kind enough to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, please. Anybody? Well, I won't charge extra for those. Of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. First and foremost, we are told about this man. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Remember the story of Rahab? She was what? A prostitute in Jericho. But she believed in the God of Israel, ironically, huh? Ruth is a Moabite, and she believes in the God of Israel, ironically, huh? And through them, we have two men that have come to be here. First, um, Rahab uh, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, okay? That would be the great-grandfather of David. And so we have him mentioned here. And the second time, it is in the book of Luke. So you've got to go to Luke. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 32, please. If somebody would be gracious enough to read for us. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Bala, and the son of... Nachshon. All right, so we have him twice. The genealogy of Jesus, Boaz is mentioned, right? So we have this wonderful 
uh, information, a little tidbits that uh, the disciples of Jesus tell us about this man, right? Okay, now, uh, in verse 2, in this part of the story, Ruth asks permission from her mother-in-law to go pick the leftover in the harvest field. And again, the narrator continues to remind us of this woman who is a what? Moabite. He keeps repeating uh, what is this nationality of this young lady. Now, um, there are a question here. Uh, why should there be any grain left over for her to pick? Why should there be any leftover grains to be picked? That is correct. Boaz told them that. But why would there be leftover grain? Okay, God has instructed Moses to, to tell the landowners to leave enough grain for the alien, for the widows, and the fatherless. Okay, it was commanded through Moses. And with that, I'm going to ask you to look at Leviticus. So we are in the book of Ruth, so go backwards. Okay. Deuteronomy, Numbers, then we go to Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. So I will read those for you. Okay, Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, please. Okay, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So if you close your Bible and open Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Tyler, you need a pen or a pencil or something to write? Do you need one? Probably wouldn't hurt, right? Here you go. Then when you get home, your wife says, what did you learn? You can share that with her as well. Okay, so in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, this is what uh, Moses, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them, pay attention please to the word of God, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So there was a mandate by God. If this is this table, if this table is the harvest that they are doing, they are to leave on the outskirts of the field enough grain. Don't go all the way to the end. You leave that for the purpose of providing for the poor, the aliens, and the widows, okay? It was mandated. This is why we did not have social service departments. 
God intended that we, the church, take care of God's people. And then the second portion I want you to look at is 23 from Leviticus 23, 22. 23, 22. Okay? This is, we're still in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. If you are there, okay? Leviticus 23, here it goes. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleaning after your harvest. So meaning, once you have harvested the field, don't go back over it again. Okay? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You know, some farmers nowadays leave some, but not for the poor, for the, for the animals. Okay? They are doing service, but it's not to take care of the neighbor because if you do that, boy, you, did, you trans, uh, transgressed over my property, right? No, you are to take care of that. And one more place, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And specifically verses 19 through 24. Uh, 22. Okay? 19 through 22. Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 19 through 24. When you reap, uh, 22, excuse me. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, Therefore, I command you to do this today, right? So, and three times we have repetition, right? The sojourner, those traveling, the fatherless, and the widows. So the command is, God wants all people never to be hungry, to be taken care of. Even if they didn't have any money, they have something to eat, right? So it is very important that you remember. Now, the readings that I gave you, and I'll repeat them again so that you, for your own benefit, and the picture that I put there of her as gleaning, and where is she gleaning? If you take a close look, it's not in color, and I apologize for that. Where is she gleaning? On the outskirts of the field. She's not in the harvest area, but she's on the outskirts. And here are the readings I gave you. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. Leviticus 23, 22 and the book of Deuteronomy 24 19 through 22 okay now why do you believe Ruth needed to ask permission from Naomi to go to the harvest field why do you think 
Naomi needed to ask for permission to go. Bingo. Number one, she's a foreigner and she is what? Vulnerable. That's number one. Okay. What's the other two? What's the other, not the other two, the other uh, point? So there are two points. Number one, she's a Moabite and very vulnerable. And what's the other point? Very good. You must have looked at my notes. Exact words I have in my... I'm just joking, sweetheart. <laughs> Out of respect. Out of respect for her mother-in-law. Remember in our culture, elderly folks are to be held in the highest esteem. Remember that? Here you go, Julia. Yep. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. So, uh, two reasons why... Um, she asked permission, number one, out of respect for her mother-in-law. She's older than she is, and in our culture, that is the utmost important. If you remember, I said to you, like if we were all sitting down and one of my uncles walked into the room, all of us would stand out of respect for the elder that is coming into the room because he's the wisest. Why do we say that? Because he has lived more than I have. Like my uncle used to say, if I've lived more than you by one day, I'm smarter than you by one day, or wiser than you by one day. Why? Because experience has its value, correct? So, so out of respect for her. Now, in verse 3, in verse 3, let me go back to the book of Ruth here. Hold on. I got my Hebrew in front of me. But in verse 3, we are told this, okay? Uh, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, right? She's not in the field, but she's going after them once they have made. So there must have been maybe a hundred, maybe more. I don't know. Because they didn't have combines like we do today. So they would have had a lot of help. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, at whose field does Ruth end up gleaning? At Boaz's field, right? And he happens to be what? A relation. Holy Toledo. I don't know if Toledo is holy, but you know what I mean, right? So, um, there are signs of hope really beginning to show up in this story. And here we are introduced to the first of the four P's, not P's like in beans, but P's with a P. And what's the first P? Nup, providence of God. The first P is the providence of God. Now, you need to make a clear distinction between the word provide and providence. They're not the same word. Do you guys know that? You, you guys speak better English than I do. Now, we have a, a teacher in class, Miss Alicia. 
What is the distinction between provide and providence? They're two different words. Very good. So provide is giving, taking care of, and making sure you have what you need. What is the word providence mean? It's a good we're going over this today. No, sir. It's not a section of land. Providence literally means when God is working things behind the scene. The providence of God. In another word, nothing happens without God's permission. Okay? The story that uh, I used at the end of my sermon about this, uh, there's more to it, but I had to condense it. It was like four pages or something, so I had to put it into one page. The pastor talks about how he was so hopeless about what had happened. But then at the end of the story, he says, if the storm didn't come, if there was no hole in the ceiling, if he didn't go to the auction, if he didn't go to the church to open the door, he would have never seen the woman. If he didn't ask her to come in, she would have never seen the tablecloth. If she didn't walk up to look at the cloth, and if the husband, every single event happened for a purpose, right? This is what we call the providence of God. Nothing happened without God's permission, okay? I mean, sometimes we ask, where is God in all of these things? So in this portion here, we see the providence of God at work in the life of that, okay? And um, let me flip the page here. There is one sure and certain fact that all human affairs under the sovereign and guiding hand of God, that he is directing all events of history to his chosen and appointed ends, and that he is working his purposes out despite the confusion and chaos of man's making. The author once again wants to remind us that God is in control of all of human affairs. Look up, please, Romans 8, 28. And how does that apply to this story? Look up, 8, 28. 8, 28, please. And when somebody gets there, would you read it? Okay. For we know that in all things God works for good to those who love God in accordance with his purpose. In other words, every single thing, seen and unseen, known and unknown, is going to be working for the purpose of God. In, I should say in accordance with his purpose, sorry. Not for his purposes. I mean, he works it out. But specifically for his purpose, right? 
These words from the Apostle Paul reminds us again and again, there is no half chance with God. And to help you grasp something, will you do me the favor, go to Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When you get there, I will read. Galatians 4, 4 and following. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, when everything was ready, in the fullness of time, why did God wait till that specific time? For He has a purpose to carry out the greatest deliverance ever. Now, the book of Ruth is a type of what Christ would do, right? We call Boaz a redeemer, right? One who can buy back. But that's the title we give to who? Jesus. So, in the fullness of time, at that specific time in history, God comes upon the scene. Now, verses 4 through 7 are very important for us. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, we are told where Boaz is from where, right? He, we are told exactly where he's from, right? Bethlehem, house of bread, correct? And so in verse 4, um, and behold, Boaz came from the house of um, Bethlehem and said to the reapers, what does he say? The Lord be with you. Do I say that to you in church? Right? And then the response, and also with you. Uh, except a little bit here differently. And they said to him, the Lord bless you. And we have the actual title of their name, Yahweh. Okay? Uh, uh, Boaz says in Hebrew, Yahweh imechem, Jehovah is with you. And they say to him, Yivarchecha, Yahweh, the Lord bless you. Now, he greets them with a phrase we often use in the church, the Lord be with you. What does this greeting tell us about the man Boaz? What does it tell us? Very good. 
If he's holy, he's a godly man. He doesn't say, hey guys, how are you today? He specifically calls upon the name of God, Yahweh. So it tells you that this man, as uh, Kathy said, he is holy. He has a relationship with God. And his greeting conveys that thought to the workers, right? So, um, he is a man who fears God and respects the workers who work for him. Okay? Now, in verse 5 and 6 is a conversation between Boaz and his foreman, the one who is... um, Overseeing, right? He says, the one who oversees. I'll, I'll just give him the term, the foreman, the one who is in charge, right? So he's the assistant to Boaz. So uh, the foreman regarding this woman who is in the field. And again, notice the emphasis that the author brings to us. Correct? Okay. How does the foreman respond to Boaz's question about Ruth? How does the foreman respond to Boaz's question? What does he say? Number one, he tells she's the Moabite, correct? She came back with Naomi. What else does he say? She asked if she could glean. What else? Huh? She is. She has worked all day. Now let's put that in a very good uh, statement. She is what? Hard worker. Hard worker. Now, again, I keep repeating this for one specific reason. Uh, that um, the term Moabite, right, is over and over again. Okay, now, why is that important for me to highlight? Why is it important for the um, um, author to share this? Why is that important? What, What is at stake here? that the author wants to convey to us. She's a foreigner, that's true. What else? How do I like to use Luke 15? What term do I give that chapter? Most people know Luke 15 how. Oh, you don't know what Luke 15 is. It's the story about the father and the two sons. One says to him, give me all that I belong to me. What do we normally call that chapter? The prodigal son, right? That's Luke 15. I don't like that term. I like to think of the generous father or the loving father. So with that respect, Why does the author keep hinting over and over again about this young lady that she is a foreigner? Why does he keep telling us that? 
Think of what I just shared with you about Luke 15. Why does the author keep pointing us to the idea that she is, her identity is related that she is from Moab? She doesn't really deserve it. Ah, she does not deserve it, meaning what? You are on, honey. It's a gift. Two specific words I like to share. Mercy on God's part, and the other is grace. Everything that we have is because God is gracious, God is merciful, God is kind, Jew or otherwise, right? He provides for us. My wife said it. Do we deserve his grace? No. Do we deserve mercy? No. Does the Moabite receive, uh, deserve this? No. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith that not of your works. It is the gift of God, right? So, when you think of this chapter, you really need to see how God is working, showing compassion, showing mercy, showing grace to those who don't deserve it. Because most people at that time felt, when you are a foreigner, you are outside the grace of God. But that is not true. Why did God choose the Israelites to be his people? Why did God choose the Israelites to be his people? Anybody? Uh, explain to me what you mean by that, dear. Huh? Okay, how does that answer the question? That remind you of anything? A candle, but firecracker. <laughs> very good, very good, Dale. Firecracker. What does a candle do? Sheds light. The reason God chose the Israelites to be a light to the nations only. There's nothing special about the Israelites any more than there's any specialness about me or you. But God chose us to be a light to the nation. Matthew 5, right? 16. You are the light of the world, right? We are to be a light to the world in all that we do and in all that we say. So when you connect 
the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he showed mercy and grace. He's not only showing it to the Israelites that are God's chosen people, because they were simply chosen to share the love of Jesus with the world around them. Okay? That's very important for us. I will stop right here since I see the kids running all around. So, now, we'll pick it up here next week. Um, we will have next week um, the study here to continue. So, we'll pick it up with that. But any questions or comment? And that will be next week. Uh, what will the... Uh, 22nd, right? 12.22, it will be the next time. So, any, any questions or any comments about this thing, uh, about the story of Ruth, and how does that help you? Questions. How does it help you? story of a lady and a lady. Actually, though, when you begin to unpack it, you see how it fits your life perfectly, does it? Do I deserve God's grace? No. Do I deserve God's forgiveness? No. As I mentioned in my sermon, sometimes we think we are better than others. We lift our nose up, say, oh, I'm better than you. No. In God's economy, we don't deserve this. This is the gift of grace given to us by God, our blessed Lord and Savior. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Holy Father, gracious God, we give thanks and praise to you for your manifold blessings upon us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would guide us, direct us, and lead us as we continue to put our hopes in you. And help us to bask in the gifts of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. And, O oh Lord, as your humble New Testament servants, may we share this love with others that they too may know you as the one who loves all people, that you would send your Son Jesus to, to the world to die and to rise again. To that end, hear us for Christ's sake. In whose name we pray. Amen. <laughs>